Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest is a gentleman who grew up in New Jersey. He lives in uh, the Bay Area now. His uh, resume includes work as a nanny and as a daycare worker. And he's researching his new novel, A Hang Glider Action Thriller. His uh, book here, which is, uh, I think, the fifth in a series of novels, but the first to be published, is called The Ultimate Rush. And it's a thriller set here in San Francisco. The hero is named Cannon, a rollerblade courier messenger. Please welcome Joe Quirk to West Coast Live. So Joe Quirk, do you think that uh, being a daycare worker is more dangerous than being a career rollerblade messenger in the city of San Francisco? Well, definitely. I mean, that was just fiction. Working with kids is real, and it was very dangerous. A bunch of uh, uh, seven-year-old uh, boys and one tomboy who was by far the most aggressive, and their favorite thing was basically to wrestle. And I don't know if you've ever uh, wrestled with uh, five seven-year-old kids. Uh, Can't say that I have. But it's Not that I remember. Maybe I did when I was seven. But it's, it's a hell of a lot more dangerous than writing a story about danger. There's a lot of uh, jargon, uh, the courier uh, street messenger uh, jargon that you use in here, and I think some of it you must make up. But, uh, <laughs> and maybe I'm misdoinking by asking you this question here, but you have this sentence here. We start skating towards my apartment. I notice a road rash on her wrist. Well, she fell on the road and, and, and uh, has an abrasion, a laceration or an abrasion. What, what happened here, I ask? And she says, I doinked it on an acid nose pick, Total Wilson. Now, I know I'm making myself out like an idiot to even have to ask to have this explained to me, but... Well, this, this doesn't leave this room, okay? But I'm not nearly as, as hip as I pretend to be. I, uh, uh, I invented most of the skater language. Uh, <laughs> there's no such thing as an acid nose pick. Uh, you can't McDoink anything. You can, however, Wilson. Uh, that, that's when you slip and fall on your butt. It's named after Mr. Wilson in Dennis the Menace. <laughs> This, uh, the ultimate rush, uh, the ultimate rush is, is what, to just go as fast as he possibly can on the rollerblades? Well, that's what he thinks it is in the beginning of the novel. And by the end, it's thumpa-thumpa-thumpa. He discovers that it's thumpa-thumpa-thumpa. Of course, we say that on the radio, they didn't see you doing this with your heart. We're talking about love, not sex. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's the heart pounding, yes. You know, one, one, of, the, one of the great sort of um, conceits of the book, I have to say, is that, is that Cannon, uh, a straight guy, is in love with Ho, a blue-haired lesbian. Mm-hmm. And he still has high hopes and thinks that he'll convince her otherwise. I mean... Do you think this is uh, an unrealistic fantasy? You know, I'm, I'm just not sure, but it does seem to have a certain kind of boastfulness about it. I'm not sure, but... <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think, isn't that also sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a straight man fantasy that, that 
lesbians will. I'm, I'm distracting the whole thing from the tone of the book here. I mean, I'm yeah, just yeah. I'm getting off. I mean, let's let's wrong the wrong street. But yes, yeah. that's the answer to the question. Yes, a straight man's fantasy: falling in love with a lesbian woman and converting her. You said it very precisely. I'm looking for the, uh, the, the, the incredulous looks in any man, and I'm, I'm glad to see that they're all just sort of going... Yeah. Yeah. For, for the people on the radio, I just made a hilarious facial expression. Let's, let's hear a bit of your book, Rush, The Ultimate Rush. This is, uh, this is of course, the, uh, the classic uh, uh, opening. It's, it's already a classic. The book's only been out a week or two, but it's already a classic scene of, of uh, your rollerblade hero. Let's, let's see how far we can get and how fast we can go here. All right, uh, how much time do I got? Oh, let's just go. You got four minutes to get to the bottom of the hill. All right. Bomb deactivator, crack dealer, SWAT rifleman. My job will kill you faster than any of these. And it won't just kill you, it'll crush you to a pulpy clot on the streets of San Francisco. It pays 15 bucks a pop and gets you a rush like no drug ever made. I am a bike messenger on rollerblades. Now, one of the things that you, you bring out here is that there is a hierarchy on the street between bike messengers, rollerblade messengers, and those ne'er-do-wells who wear loose clothing skateboarders. Um, there's not really a, an established hierarchy, but I've always been amused by the, uh, the purest battles between snowboarders and, and skiers and... Uh, uh, skateboarders and rollerbladers and how they hate each other and they wear different clothing and uh, you know uh, by the end of the book they all become friends and work together to save the day but I thought it would create a humorous tension in the book if you had uh, you know these guys arguing with each other over who can go faster and stuff like that so there isn't really a hierarchy but this character maintains that there is you uh, well let's go on let's roll on all right I've just completed my fifth delivery of the day and I'm hungry to make my sixth comments Sedge oh, that's good. <laughs> so far so good I've never been heckled by the interviewer. <laughs> no, I'm trying to footnote it as it goes yeah. along here. It's not heckling, it's admiration. You're like my editor. <laughs> I hop off the cable car in front of Mel's office building and skate past four or five stormtroopers who get there ahead of me but are securing their livelihoods, bent over the bike rack like prison freshmen. See, this establishes Chet's attitude towards bicyclists. Uh... Mel slams down the phone, jabs the disc eject with his thumb, yanks out a computer disc, and shoves it in a stiff 8 by 11. He slaps a seal over the opening, looks up at the bicycle courier waiting for instructions, and makes an outrageous offer. If you make this delivery in eight minutes, I'll give you $400. My ears perk up like Lassie spotting a steak frisbee. $400? The courier isn't impressed. Where's it going? Mission in fifth. Forget it. Come on, damn it, it's all downhill. My colleague laughs. Yeah, but you can't take it straight down. 500. The courier snorts and shakes his head. My tail is wagging. I'm licking my lips. My eyes are darting back and forth between these two bargainers. I know you could conceivably make this 20-minute run in about a minute 20, if you go straight down. Don't worry. <laughs> no, but I think let's skip ahead a little bit here to when he's... No, it's it's like it's it. The scene is it's a uh, no, 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 no. It, it runs it runs about fifteen minutes, and we don't have. Yeah. You you have to get the book, of course, you see, yeah. and, and enjoy it. But we should just leave him hanging right there. Well, I don't know. Let's All see. Right. I like the I like the part. 
this, this, uh, okay, here we go, right here, right from here. <laughs> Don't do it, you'll kill yourself. He's right, if I wipe out on the hot macadam, my knee and elbow pads will protect my tattooed flesh like the candy wrapper in my ass pocket will protect the chocolate inside. Okay, let's keep going. Be like scraping a strawberry over a cheese grater. I will become a smoking gumbo of bones, gristle, entrails, and blood, slopped and splattered down ten blocks of handbrake cars clutching to the side of Knob Hill, an entire fire department and a small legion of car insurance bureaucrats to clean me up. I think that's, that's, oh yeah. <laughs> okay. This is, this is doable only once a month, the second Monday of each month, street cleaning day. On street cleaning day, no vehicles are allowed to park along the right side of Mission Street, so I can hit top speed down Jones and cut the left onto Mission without splattering my giblets all over somebody's paint job and have my oversight immortalized in some new nickname for this hill. All right, let's skip down to here. I don the headphones. My skull becomes an angry hornet's nest of speed metal riffs. They are shut out. The first two traffic lights go green. The last two go red. Come on, come on. Then the third and middle traffic light, green. I'm off. And you, you have to wait for this particular sequence for it all to work, right? The three green, two red right, at the bottom. Right. That's the timing of the thing. Yeah, the street's the clear. The there are five street lights curving down the concrete ski ramp in front of him. Uh, so he takes off. Instant hyperspeed. I'm in my zone now. Rubber cheeks pulled back and flapping. Shins vibrating like jackhammers. Eyeballs shaking like ice cubes in a martini shaker. I swear I can hear the rattling of my vertebrae clacking together. My femur and shin bones are pulling apart and snapping together 100 times per second, playing tug of war with my cartilage. All my favorite kinds of pain are humming together in a perfect chord. My body is a harp string vibrating. I am a comet, leaving two hot parallel streaks in the sizzling tar behind me. My skates are smoking. My fiberglass wheels are starting to get sticky. A couple bugs splatter on my sunglasses. One splats between the teeth of my Shinola-eating grin. He's fast. He's moving faster. Yeah. I like this. You, you start singing out aloud. I can imagine my voice dopplering off behind me. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> the air friction gradually pulls my headphones off my helmet until they snap away. Now they are flying behind me like a cape. Captain Blader is being garroted by his own Walkman. <laughs> a flock of businesswomen presume to cross my street. I jettison a war cry. Standard courier procedure when some ped maggot is about to step in your way. <laughs> the suits freeze like sheep before the charge of the rabid lion. I tear past and my back gets darted with screechy epithets. Uh, keep going. The first three lights, each in succession, turn yellow. I scorch beneath them as each flares red at the top of my vision and bores between my eyebrows like some Hindu implant. The light in front of me flashes green, and the last one beyond that is still red. So far, so good. O'Farrell Street bump is coming up. Not actually a bump, but a place where the 60-degree plummet momentarily levels off for a perpendicular street, then dips down again. My knees take the split-second upward surge like springs, then air. Getting air is like snatching a little piece of eternity. The raucous wheel rattling ceases, the earth melts away, and I am floating.
I don't breathe. The only sound is the hum of the tiny rollerblade wheels still spinning on their axes. I am weightless as an angel, free from guilt and shame, a tiny breeze soft as a negligee on my face. Then I hit street, a hard jolt back to mortality, knee bones splinter in collision, and I am going faster than when I left the ground. Blader legend says that one lost second of friction increases your speed by 10%. The last vibrating red traffic light never turns green as it rockets over my head. Damn, this is too fast. Still got the Mission Street turn to make. Barreling down in this raging fury, I have to bank it right up against the parking meters on the right side of the street. Coming around the buildings, I glance up Mission and, oh, Shinola. <laughs> Monday, today is Monday, the second Monday of the month, right? Street cleaning day. So then why is there a long line of snugly parked yuppie mobiles sitting smack in the middle of my safety zone? Wait a minute. The first was a Monday, so this is the third Monday of the month. I'm street spam. <laughs> Make this turn tighter at this speed? Impossible. Then again, the, death, the threat of death has a way of inspiring me. I, uh, my right skate is directly behind my left. I snap my right skate around backwards, so I'm skating sideways and my knees are spread eagled. <laughs> I raise my elbows up. Sedge will demonstrate for all, all the deaf people in the audience. <laughs> I raise my elbows up like a figure from an Egyptian hieroglyphic. Go. <laughs> I lean and lean hard. I arch backwards until my spine is retroflexed to the max. I'm trying to bring the back of my skull to my heels and I can feel sciatic nerves pinching painfully. My thigh muscles twist like steel cables as I bend my femurs to the snapping point. I growl and strain, feel my puckered face go red hot. Sweat peels off my forehead to the hair above my ears. I make the turn. The mile-long battering ram of steel passes to my right with a whoosh of air displacement, and I am hurtling along its side at a squillion miles per second, hearing the steady hum of the parked cars as I pass, an eerie acoustic phenomenon caused by the echo of my wheels. A car door opens, 70 feet in front of me. It splays its wing like a steel beetle, and out from its armpit steps an Armani shoe. <laughs> I will cover that distance in one second, with no room to break or swerve. The car is an open-air convertible, with the door window rolled all the way down. I stand up straight, put one skate in front of the other, and head straight for that door. The open door hurtles towards my testicles at 45 miles per hour. <laughs> I think balls would have been okay. Oh. <laughs> Hurdles towards my nads at 75 miles per hour. <laughs> In the half second I have to act, I see the leather toe turn outwards, the knee bend for leverage. He is a millisecond from stepping into my path. I prance like Barishnikov pull my heels into the small of my back, grab my toes with one hand, and groin muscles be damned, bend it up towards my ear. The door flashes beneath me, release toes, skates clash with perfect precision on the pavement, bus slips away and shrinks to bunny size, death is behind me. Twirling around and skating backwards, I can just barely see my innocent motorist sitting frozen in his car with one Armani shoe on the pavement and mouth agape. As I sailed over his leg, I felt the businessman's nose pass within inches of my right buttock. 
I cannot tell you how much these immature yet sublime little notions mean to me. <laughs> Joe Quirk, reading from part of the opening of The Ultimate Rush. And we skipped over the, the scene in there where he was afraid he was going to get uh, squished between the bus and the car and, and become, what, a chrome sandwich? A chrome sandwich, yes, we had to skip that part. Yeah. That's why he couldn't swerve. There was a bus to his left. If you think that's beginning to be breathtaking, wait until you, you see what we're, when he takes on, when our hero takes on a BART train. It just gets ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mafia and the Asian mafia and the Italian mafia and the mobs. And Every bad guy I could think of is after him. And, and what, one of the sweet elements is, is Cannon's roommate, uh, who is uh, confined to a wheelchair, sort of yeah. the opposite of the physicality of your hero. Yeah, he's a, uh, he has cerebral palsy, and he's in a wheelchair that is rigged to go at illegal speeds. And he's a, he's a, a left-wing political activist and an egomaniac. And he, and he talks like molasses, so no one can really understand him except Chet, who, who's, who's Cannon is his nickname. His real name is Chet. Yeah, okay. The... Uh, did you write the book as, as, uh, as quickly as it, as it reads, or did it take a long time to work up those scenes? Well, I wrote it really quickly at first. I wrote it in like six months and then read it over and realized it really sucked. <laughs> so, so then I worked on it for another two and a half years, and I sort of, it's, it's all about creating the illusion of speed and exuberance. It was really a slow, painful process. The research especially. <laughs> What, what was the, uh, what was the, has anybody called you on any errors in the book? There's nothing but errors in the book. I, <laughs> it's called fiction. <laughs> these, these journalists, they, they keep interviewing me, and, and j journalists, they, they look at what really happened, and then they try to find the message behind that, whereas fiction writers have their message, and then they arrange what happened to convey what they want to say. And they keep complaining that uh, the streets don't add up the right way. You can't really jump over a BART train. Uh, skaters don't really say acid nose pick. And I wanted, I wanted to create a mythical San Francisco. And I wanted to, uh, you know, just mythologize the culture. And, and, and I think uh, people that complain that there's no such thing as Fort Farley or the bar, the padlock, are, this, are the descendants of the people who complained about the graduate when he was driving on the, on the upper level of the Bay Bridge to go save his girlfriend in Berkeley. Uh, driving the, the other way. Yeah, and he's on the upper level of the bridge, and everybody's so upset about that. You know, who cares? The, the point is to get the wind through his hair as he goes to save his woman. And so I want to get the wind through Chet's hair figuratively. Well, I'm glad you're not bitter about any of this. No, no, I, uh, I, I, I take it all in stride, those bastards. <laughs> how, how large is your collection of rejection slips? 375 rejection letters. Why'd you have to ask me that on the air? <laughs> I'm just trying to create your own mythology for you before our very ears. Yes. And uh, I, I think that this is a, this is a, a, a great fun... Great bottle of water. Yeah, great bottle of water right there. Move the Crystal Geyser water bottle over there. And, and so the um, six-figure paperback floor. I'm, I have what's called an advanced reading copy. It has a lot of promo information on the back. What does a six-figure paperback floor mean? Uh, some guy from St. Martin's Press made a floor offer for the paperback rights to the book. So when the bidding starts, I don't know when that's going to start, that'll be the, the floor from which publishing houses bid on the paperback rights. So when you go to a, a flat city like Chicago, do they, do they understand what this book is about? Well, we were going to go to Chicago, but then we just canceled. Uh, I hope they can imagine what it's like. I mean, I, I'm not doing any Midwest cities. Maybe that has something to do with it. It's all... <laughs> 
It's all coast cities I'm doing. Anyway, the, the book is called The Ultimate Rush. It's published by Weisbach Morrow? Rob Weisbach. Oh, the, oh the, he's the editor, so he gets his name on the book. Almost in as he's big a type as... He's the publisher. My editor is Dave uh, Zanto, a really smart guy who made the book uh, better. And it says here, dedicated for Jonah Hervig, the most beautiful human being I've ever known. Yeah. Who, who is uh, uh, Jonah Hervig? Jonah Hervig is, uh, is uh, someone I was really close to uh, when I was writing the book. Uh, and now I have a new most beautiful human being I've ever known. <laughs> Joe Quirk, thanks very much for being on West Coast Live. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.